0: Lisa read to us from one particular part uh, of Jeremiah that we're going to be looking at tonight, and as you'll see later on, we're going to be looking at quite a number of different texts uh, from Jeremiah, so it might be useful if you were to keep your Bible uh, open, and uh, if you maybe want to turn to page 770, that's where we're going to be starting at tonight. That'll be Jeremiah chapter 11, and you'll find that on page 770. But before we turn to God's Word, let's just pray together. Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through it, and you speak through it in powerful ways. Father, we thank you for all of your word, for the bits that are relatively easy uh, to understand and that help us in many ways with words of comfort and guidance. But we also thank you, Father, for some of the the difficult passages that stretch our minds and allow us to to open ourselves to more uh, of you and of your depth. Father, we pray for our time together this evening, that as we look at these passages in Jeremiah, that you would speak through them and that what you would say would be of assistance to each one of us as we seek to live out our lives in service for you. Amen. Now, for those of you who who know me, you'll know that I have a a particular interest in, in history, and particularly history of the 20th century and the two world wars. Now, in my view, one character amongst all others stands out in the 20th century in in British history, and that's Winston Churchill. Now, one of the the fascinating things about Churchill's life is that I think people today largely assume that because of his victorious leadership in the Second World War, that he had always been held in, in high esteem by the British public. And if you remember back to to 2002, 10 years ago, the BBC screened their programme, The 100 Greatest Britons of All Time, and Churchill, well, he came out as as number one. But actually, if you read uh, the history of Churchill's life, you'll find that it wasn't always like that. Um, In fact, in the period immediately before he became Prime Minister, you often find a, a lonely figure who enjoyed very little public adulation. Now in 1928, Churchill was then at the very height of his career. He was Chancellor of the Exchequer. He was a powerful and a very popular orator. And leadership of the Conservative Party seemed just within his grasp. That was 1928. But a year later, all of that had changed. The Conservatives were, were defeated. And a national government was formed in 1931. And Churchill wasn't even asked whether he'd like to join it, and from then on he cut a a lone figure throughout the 1930s. But though he was that that lone figure, he had an acute political uh, insight, foresight, and a courage, he was fed with with secret information, and in doing so he consistently warned against the danger uh, of the rise of the Nazis in Germany. And the British government, well, they fought him remarkably at every turn, and they even refused him the right to broadcast. But he never gave up, and it was as a direct result of his dogged determination and persistence that the British public finally came to realise the truth of his warnings. I suppose you might describe Churchill as a voice crying in the the wilderness, or maybe as a, a swimmer swimming against the tide. Now, if you've been with us this autumn in our studies in Jeremiah, you'll recognize in Jeremiah's life something of this type of existence. Indeed, one of the the commentaries on him that I was, was looking at takes as its subtitle about Jeremiah, against wind and tide. This was as we've seen so far with some initial protest, the hard pilgrimage that Jeremiah accepted from God to stand almost as a lone voice against all of those around him. Now, before we look at, at tonight's passages, let's take a, a moment just to, to think about some of the things that we've already thought uh, about in Jeremiah's life. You'll remember that in our, our very first study together uh, a few weeks ago. We noted that that the country of Judah was at that stage going through difficult and challenging times and in fact God's people were going into a a period of exile from the land and we thought about a a connection with our society today where the church in the west has in, in recent years been ousted from that influential and central position in society to a position that's that's much more on the fringe and perhaps today our church just like the people of Israel the people of Judah in those days is moving into a period of exile. Now in our, our second study uh, we met God's prophet, the man we're going to be reflecting on tonight, Jeremiah. We met him there when he protested that he was was too young to be used by God but you might recall that in all of that God overruled. He told the, the young priest Manathal that even though before he was born he was known by God that he was chosen as a, for a special work to do, that he was to be God's messenger to his people. And then a few weeks ago in our, our third study, you may recall that David considered material in Jeremiah from chapters 2 through to chapter 7, where he exposed the people to their sin and pointed out that they were trusting in lots of the, the wrong things. And then if you were with us last week, you'll remember that Christos, spoke to us from chapters 8 through to chapter 11 about how the people of Judah had broken their covenant with God and because of this, various detrimental consequences flowed for them. Now, tonight we have the task of considering something of the material that forms chapters 11 through to chapter 20, so nine chapters to look at tonight. Now, at first that seemed to me a a daunting task uh, to have to, to, to look at, Um, Particularly as we've already seen in our studies in Jeremiah so far, it's not a particularly well-organized or a well-structured book. It doesn't follow nice chronological patterns, but rather it's a a mixture of poetry and of prose that tells the story of Jeremiah and his message, but it does so as it jumps back and forward uh, in time. And that doesn't make it an easy task for any of us to try and and access the, the passages that are before us. However, our task tonight is a little bit easier because uh, we're not going to systematically work through uh, all nine chapters, but rather uh, we've been asked to to direct our focus to one particular literary style that one finds scattered throughout those nine chapters. On six different occasions in these chapters, Jeremiah has outbursts, outbursts of, of grief, of regret, and of questioning God and what God is doing. And Lisa read one of those outbursts to us earlier. Now, those outbursts take a, a literary form that's known as, as laments, and it's something that, uh, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know is a, a common enough feature uh, in some of, of the books. You'll find them in, in some of the Psalms, and uh, I think all of the, the, the books of, the, of prophecy, with the exception of, of Haggai, and of course, Jeremiah's other book uh, the book that does what it says in the tender the book of, of Lamentations, a book that is simply full uh, of laments. So, as I say, thankfully our, our task tonight is a relatively focused one, uh, and that is to direct our attention to the six laments that are found uh, between chapters 11 uh, and 20. Uh, I want to, to point you uh, tonight just to, to where uh, in the Bible you, you'll find those uh, six laments. Hopefully they're, they're appearing on the screen behind us. That's where they, they are and uh, we're going to have to jump around a bit uh, through the different laments, trying to pick up some of the various themes uh, that emerge, but it might be helpful uh, if you are at different times to be able to to look at the text uh, of those uh, as they're in front of you. Now I suspect that um, lamenting is something that for many years Christians in in Western society didn't feel greatly in the need of of having to do. For large parts of the, the 19th, and the, the 20th century, Judeo-Christian values were very much central to our society, uh, and those who espoused those sorts of, of beliefs would have found themselves not hugely out of step with the prevailing culture. But I think undoubtedly today all of that ha- has changed. It was in, in February of this year that the uh, Conservative peer, Baroness Varsi, Uh, who was then a a member of the government, uh, spoke in a a very controversial speech uh, of the militant secularism that was taking hold, that that is taking hold uh, of the UK and attacking the very Christian foundations uh, of our society. So perhaps lamenting uh, about the situation we find uh, around us may be something that's going to come back uh, into fashion. But I suspect for, for many of us, lamenting, questioning God Is something that we find difficult to do and not entirely natural. I want to show you a clip from a TV program that I think portrays in quite graphic form something of this struggle as a man finds it difficult to accept what God is doing. Now, many of you may have enjoyed previously the TV series, The West Wing, which tells the the story of the the term in office of a fictional U.S. president, President Jed Bartlett. Now, Bartlett is a a man of of Christian faith, and references to his faith are to be found frequently in his story. Being in such an important position, Bartlett bears not only the the personal struggles and difficulties uh, that affect every one of us, but he also bears a responsibility for his entire nation and in fact, beyond. His struggle with what God allows to happen to him both personally and to his people is captured vividly in the clip we're gonna have a look at. It's the end of a funeral service he attends for his former secretary, Mrs. Langingham. A potentially disastrous tropical storm is bearing down on the nation And he has to make a big decision whether to run for a second term as president or to let his deputy, Hoynes, run instead. Now, even if you don't follow everything in Jed Bartlett's lament against God, see if you can sense some of his frustration with God and with what God's doing. She bought her first new car and we hit her with a drunk driver. What? Is that supposed to be funny? You can't conceive, nor can I, the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God, says Grand Green. I don't know whose ass he was kissing there, but I think you're just vindictive. What was Josh Lyman? A wine shot. That was my son to praise his Lord and praise his name. There's a tropical storm that's gaining speed and power. They say, we haven't had a storm this fast since you took out that tender ship of well, mine in North Atlanta last year. 68 crew. You know what a tender ship does? It fixes the other ships. It doesn't even carry guns. It slows around fixes the other ships and delivers the mail. That's all it can do. Gracias, Yes, I lied. It was a sin. I committed many sins. Have I displeased you, you infectious fuck? 3.8 million new jobs I wasn't good. Bail out of Mexico, increased foreign trade. 30 million new acres of land for conservation. Put Mendoza off the bench. When I fight you the war. I raised three children. That's not enough to buy me out of the doghouse. Hey credit a little girl, a little used a To official perfection. And I Now, it's a long, long time since uh, I did Latin at school, but uh, a flavor of what Bartlett was saying there goes something, something like this. Am I really to believe these are the acts of a, a loving God, a just, a wise God? I served you here on earth. I spread your word and I did your work. And this is the way you treat me. Ah, just forget it. I hope that clip served to show you in, in, as I say, graphic form, maybe something of, of one man's struggle with what God uh, is doing. Now, this struggle to understand what, what God is doing on earth and how his purposes are, are worked out is shown throughout the six laments that are in our, our text for this evening. Let's, before we look at them, just remind ourselves of what Jeremiah was called by God to do He was a prophet who was called to proclaim words to the people, words that were first spoken by God himself and which were therefore certain of being fulfilled. And the message he had to proclaim was a harsh one. As he lashed out against the people's sinfulness, he rebuked them for their idolatry and he had to warn them of the impending judgment of God. You'll see this repeatedly throughout the book of Jeremiah. Let me read to you something from Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah says to the people, your wealth and your treasures, I will give as plunder without charge because of all your sins throughout your country. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know for my anger will kindle a fire that will burn up against you. Now you might get from that a a, a flavor as to why Jeremiah's message wasn't really greeted with great enthusiasm amongst his people. A message that condemned their sinful lifestyle and told them of the harsh judgment that was going to befall them. And isn't what Jeremiah was called to do something like what God calls his people today to do? In our society, to declare his word, and lift high the name of Christ, to call people to repentance, to faith and obedience, and to warn them of the impending judgment of God. So perhaps now we might begin to see if we have a, a call, a, a mission in life which has similarities like that of Jeremiah, living in times when the prevailing culture around us Just as in Jeremiah's day is turning away from God, we might just have something to learn from his struggles uh, as they find expression in these laments this evening. So what are the lessons that we might learn? I'm going to suggest there are three of them that we can uh, extract from these laments. Lesson number one, how those who listen to the message of God might react as it's proclaimed. And we've thought already a little bit uh, about how the type of message Jeremiah proclaimed, one of, of condemnation and judgment, would be difficult for people to hear. Um, in some of the, the, the laments that, that form part of what we're looking at tonight, uh, we see how the people react when, reacted to Jeremiah when they heard him proclaim this message. And let's for a moment just to look at that and see what reaction Jeremiah got. If you have your your Bible in front of you, have a look at lament number five. That's in chapter eighteen, and at verses eighteen to twenty-three. That's in page seven hundred and seventy-eight. Look there at what some of the people are saying as Jeremiah proclaims his message. Look at their reaction. Verse eighteen, they say, "Let's make plans against Jeremiah." let's attack him with our tongues. It seems to be suggesting they're, they're, they're planning some sort of a, a plan to discredit him or to, to slander his name. But they also seem intent the people in Jeremiah's day and giving him the, the silent treatment. Uh, look again at, at verse 18. They say they intend to pay no attention to anything he says. But their, their, their anger against Jeremiah and his message takes on a, a more violent character. Have a look at, at the first lament, chapter 11, page 770, chapter 11, verses 18 to 23. And look in particular at verse 18. It seems like his conspirators actually have murder in mind. Jeremiah talks of being led like a gentle lamb to the slaughter. In verse 19, he talks of being destroyed with, in fact, his family name dying out. Now, what's interesting here is to think for a moment about who it is who's plotting against Jeremiah. Is it the the secret agent of those two great superpowers of the day, of Egypt to the south uh, or of Assyria to the north? Or is it even the, the militant atheists within his own land, intent of destroying any notion that there's any form of divine being. Now, look at verse 21 to see who is making these threats. It's the men of of Anathol, the men of Jeremiah's home village. It's his own people who are out to get him. But it's worse than that. If you remember from our our studies in chapter 1, something about Anathol, Anathoth was a, a priestly village, a, a religious settlement, just a few miles from Jerusalem. Now, I suppose we mightn't have been greatly shocked to find that those who don't have any space for God in their lives would have difficulty with Jeremiah, but his own people, and indeed people who are deeply involved in religion, wanting to engage in the, the murder of God's own prophet. Well, that's that's quite some reaction. So what does all that have to say to us today? Well, perhaps the the message is as simple as, well, don't be surprised when many around you react with great hostility to the Christian message. Don't expect when what you perceive to be good news isn't warmly welcomed by those who hear it. Perhaps each of us needs to get a, a realistic expectation of what lies in front of each of us as we seek in our different ways to make known God's good news to the people around us. Here in Kirkpatrick we sometimes reflect on the efforts we've made to reach out into our local community and often we can look back and see how that's been warmly welcomed by some. But we have seen times of opposition both from within the church based community and from outside it. so perhaps the lesson from from Jeremiah is don't let any of this surprise you Uh, indeed as you look forward to the future we should expect it we have thought a little bit about how the people outside those who hear the message might react to it let's think a little bit about how we might get on how we might feel as we seek to proclaim God's message and what these laments might tell us. We find in, in Jeremiah's laments some insight into his internal thoughts as he lives in a world where people are living far from God's ways and where he'd been called, as we thought about before, to point out their sin and to warn them of future judgment. And just like, like Bartlett has, Jeremiah has some very honest struggles with God and with what God's doing. He really struggles to understand how a just God can tolerate those who live in ways that are far from his intentions. Have a look at page 770, Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 1. You'll see there that Jeremiah reflects on those living godless lives around him. This is what he says He's talking directly to God. He says, Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And what do all the, why, why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. He also struggles with God, not simply to accept how others are doing, how God's allowed them to prosper, but he struggles to accept his own lot in life. Look at, at chapter 15 and verse 10, page 774. He says, Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth. In verse 17, I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. Why is my pain unending, and my wound grievous and incurable? And then from the passage that Lisa read to us earlier in chapter 20, verse 14, you might remember what Lisa read Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed, and cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying a child is born to you, a son. Pretty harsh words about Jeremiah's reaction to what God is doing. I wonder: is, is Jeremiah's reaction something that that strikes a chord with us today, as we uh, attempt to live for God uh, and to follow His ways? Perhaps suffering and pain crosses our path. Perhaps it often seems to us that it does so with a greater severity and a greater frequency than those who don't make any attempts to follow God's ways. I wonder, if you ever find yourself questioning God and saying to him, is it really worth it? I was speaking with a friend of mine last weekend and he was recounting to me uh, his experience uh, in recent times, uh, as he sought to conduct his business uh, in what he saw as a, a godly and God-honoring fashion. But he'd run into economic difficulties, the consequences of which had a severe detrimental effect on his personal circumstances uh, and those of his family. And I suspect lots of us have experiences like that as we seek to do what is right, but I often find the lot that we're given by God as a result of that seems difficult and arduous. Well, the Bible doesn't seek to to shy away from these hard realities of life. It speaks generally throughout it, and tonight it speaks particularly through Jeremiah, of the harshness of life at times and our understandable struggle, just like Bartlett's struggle, to accept an almighty, loving God who allows such things to happen. Often in the Bible, and and real real life I suspect bears testimony to this, there is at least for now no sugar-coated ending, no fairy tale style happily ever after conclusion. Life can be hard. So perhaps we might even say like Jeremiah, cursed be the day I was born. But actually, in the end, the Bible speaks that there is hope, that in the end, God wins. And this is the the third and the final lesson that I think we can extract from these laments. Despite the the depressing and pretty awful circumstances that Jeremiah found himself in, we find in his laments some little glimmers of hope. Now, when I was a a child, we lived in a, a house that had one of those Uh, solid fuel, glass-fronted fires. And the idea was that that would stay lit uh, all the time. It would heat the the, the house and it would heat the water and and it would stay lit, never going out. Uh, You went to bed at at night and it was still uh, blazing away. But when you came down in the morning, it had the the, the redness, the glow had gone and a gray ash had descended uh, against it. it was my father's job to to invigorate the, the fire to bring life to it. But how would you do this when it seems so seemingly dead and and hopeless? Well, it wasn't quite as bad as it first appeared. Because if you took a a careful look through the the greyness, through the ash, every now and then you could see little signs of red glowing, little signs of hope. You see, life and hope was still there, just waiting its time to come back again to life once some attention had been paid to it. Well, we thought tonight about so much of the difficulties that Jeremiah encountered. It might at first seem to us, just like looking at that fire, that there is no hope to be found. But every now and then, throughout Jeremiah's laments, there are little glimmers of fire, little glimmers of hope to be found. Look at chapter 12. You find it in page 771 and verse 15. Thereafter, God tells of the punishment that's to fall on his people. He speaks of how he'll save them. Look at what God says. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to his inheritance and to his own country. Or there's a view of the future expressed in chapter 17, verses 12 and 13. There, Jeremiah talks of a glorious throne Exalted from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary, O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. And finally, have a look at chapter 20 and verse 13. Jeremiah says, Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord, for he rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And isn't that the the ultimate message of the Bible? that in the end, God does win, that good does triumph over evil. John looks forward to that day in his revelation when he foresees a day when tears will be wiped away as death and mourning and crying and pain all become things of the past. And so what of ourselves in in Belfast in 2012, we have a a similar calling to that of Jeremiah to live for God and to declare his message in a world and perhaps even in a, a religious context that may be far from receptive of it. Well this shouldn't surprise us as the message of God has always caused division. We may, like Jeremiah, wrestle with God in the seeming unfairness of life and of our particular lot. It might often seem all is hopeless, but we can take hope. Just as God spoke to Jeremiah about his people being brought back to him into the land, so we, if we place our alliance on God, we too, even in the midst of great difficulty, can look forward to the day when one day we'll dwell with God in what is a perfect environment. So for us as Christians in 2012, despite difficult times, perhaps depressing circumstances, the message of the Bible, the message of these laments is there is hope.